However, this one is a phrase that God has used several times in the Bible. And I want to look at each time he uses it in this continue thou. If we're to continue in something, then we need to know what it is God wants us to keep going on that, right? So let's take our Bibles for starting this this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it's interesting how many times throughout Scripture God says that certain things were done for our remembrance. How many things that He says that we're continued to do. And because God knows our makeup, God knows that our flesh is weak. He knows sometimes our memories are short. We forget, right? And so therefore, He tells us, hey, continue to do these things to remember. For instance... Next Sunday, we're going to observe the Lord's table. It's an ordinance of the church that we're to do as oft as we do it in remembrance of Him. Now, the Bible does not say how often to do it. But I think some good logic would say, and you know, some churches decide to do it every week, and there's nothing wrong with that. We choose not to because I don't want it to become so commonplace we forget its purpose. Yet, at the same point, I don't want to do it so infrequent that we lose the, that we forget what we're supposed to be doing. Okay, so where's the balance? Well, we do it about five, six times a year, and that's where we try to find the balance. Is that proper? It seems to work for us. Let's put it that way. In the Old Testament, there were several holidays that God had established, holy days, feasts, and um things of that nature, that they were supposed to do, and all of them were to remember something God had done. Of course, we saw one celebration that was added in the book of Esther, when we studied the book of Esther, and again, but it was, the purpose again was a reminder of God's working on Israel's behalf. So here's some things that God has said in which we are to continue and the first thing we're going to look at here in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, the Word of God says, And continue thou in these things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in the salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Now, most of us have memorized verse 15, but notice the punctuation that the whole sentence actually is verses 14 and 15. And so I want us to look at this sentence starting with, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. <coughs> and I want us to see we're to remain in what we have learned. Secondly, to remember who taught us. And then lastly, we need to understand the resource available to stay close to the Lord. So the first thing we need to continue in is continuing in the things that we have learned. So let's ask the Lord for His guidance, please. Father, I pray You give wisdom as we study this passage this morning. Lord, help us to remember what we have learned, who taught us, and how to remain close to You. So Lord, I pray You bless to this end. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. Remain in what you have learned. Go back to verse 13. Paul writes, Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
Satan desires to snatch the word away. He wants to confuse people. He wants to confuse even Christians who have been in the faith. He wants to try to confuse you. And by the way, this is why it's important we're grounded in the faith, because the more grounded you are in the Bible, the less opportunity he'll have to confuse you. But it is interesting how many times young Christians especially will go and watch all these different YouTube channels or watch all these different TV preachers. And let me say something. There's some good out there, but there's a lot of false ones out there. And be very careful to what you're listening because they may sound right, and here's how Satan deceives. He puts a little bit of truth and then some lies. And it sounds good because you're hearing some truth with it. It's like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. But wait a minute, I don't remember that part. Oh, that must be something new. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe it's because this is the deceiver trying to deceive you into something. So be very careful to whom you listen. And be, as Paul commended the Bereans, one who goes and studies the Scripture to see if it's really so. Don't take anything, including what I say, Hook, line, and sinker without studying it yourself. Study it and know that this is the truth. Be convinced that this is what the Word of God says. And if you're not convinced, and you can show me biblically why you believe what I said is wrong, I want you to come to me and tell me that it's wrong. But be able to defend it with Scripture. Okay? That's the only thing I'll ask. But he uses... Evil men, it says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. Well, we don't have to look very far to see that happen, do we? Deceiving and being deceived. But beyond the false teachers trying to tell you what is not real, you have also maybe co-workers who will make fun of you for your Christianity, maybe lost family, who wants to disassociate with you because of your stand for Christ. Those things can be discouraging, can they not? But Christian, let me tell you something. Though no one stand with you, still stand for Christ. Remain in what you have learned. He can use our own fleshly desires to pull us away from the things we have learned. He'll find a way to tempt you. Don't ever think that you're so close to God that you cannot be tempted. Matter of fact, the closer to God we get, the more sinfulness of ourselves we should see. So when you start to think, oh, I'm doing pretty good, be careful, you're heading for a fall. But it says continue. Now the Greek word continue there is the word meno. It has the idea to remain, to dwell, to stay, to feel at home. Now, I normally do not feel at home in large crowds. And that goes way pre-COVID, okay? <clears throat> had nothing to do with COVID. I just don't feel comfortable in large crowds. By the way, most of us are naturally introverted. There actually are very few that I've met that are naturally an extrovert, ones that will just go out and talk to anybody, never met a stranger. There are some out there that have never met a stranger, but most of us don't like to talk to strangers. Okay, it's something we're not comfortable with. I'm not at home doing it. But if we have a visitor walk in and we don't try our absolute best to make them feel comfortable and going out of our comfort zone to talk to them, we're going to make them feel even less comfortable being here. 
So, and I thank you for it, by the way. I've had a lot of our recent visitors tell me that one of the things they really appreciate about our church is that you guys make them feel comfortable here. You, you make them feel welcome and thank you. That's what we should be doing. Let's not slack up on that. But this is an imperative. It's a command. Continue in these things. So it's not an option for us, Christian, but it is a command for us to do. Now, an interesting thing about this Greek word meno, in John 15, hold your place here in 2 Timothy. Come back with me to John 15 for just a moment. And I want you to get an understanding of this word when he says to continue in these things, to be at home in the things that you've learned, okay? To, to feel comfortable with the things that you've learned would be the idea. And John 15, <clears throat> starting in verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husband. And every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. The word abide there that he uses several times throughout this passage is the same Greek word. So he says, abide in me. Be at home in Christ. Okay, now, when you're home, you do things probably differently than you do when you're out in town, right? For instance, you might uh, dress a little more comfortably at home than you would going out in town. At least it used to be that way, but now I worked 14 years at Walmart, and I've seen people who wear their pajamas to Walmart. But anyhow, normal people don't, okay? <laughs> if you're one who wears pajamas to Walmart, just stop and never tell anybody you did it, okay? <laughs> because when I'm at home, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to put my feet up and I'm going to be comfortable. And But even if I have company over, I'm not going to sit there with my feet up and all relaxed in my easy chair. I'm going to sit up properly because I'm having a conversation with them, right? You get the point? I'm at home. I'm relaxed. So don't bother me, right? That idea? Okay. So let me ask you a question. Are you that comfortable in the presence of Christ that you can be at home, relaxed with him? Because that's what he's saying when he says, abide in me, be at home with me. Now, it doesn't mean that we are irreverent with God, but you know, when we're talking to God, he doesn't care how fancy your words are. He wants to hear from you. And he knows the vocabulary you use. And you can talk to him as a friend because he is. He wants you to be at home with him. Now, when my private prayers, when I'm talking to God privately, are a little bit different than when I'm praying publicly. And, and it's not that I'm trying to put on a show, but the closeness that I have with God, others may not fully understand. Does that make sense? And besides, it's kind of like the conversations I have with my wife at private are maybe different than the conversations we have in public because we have a closeness. Okay, do you follow what I'm saying? But that's the kind of closeness that God desires for us. And I hope you understand what I'm saying. So that same word then is the same word translated continue in 2 Timothy. 
Be at home in the things you have learned. Do you feel at home studying the Bible? Do you feel comfortable studying the Bible? You say, preacher, sometimes there's things in the Bible I truly don't understand. Okay, I'm going to give you a little clue. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been walking with God, there's still going to be things in the Bible you're still not going to understand. However, you keep studying it, and you're going to understand more of it every day. And you're going to, as you desire to live it and obey it, it's going to become sweeter and sweeter day by day. So you need to learn those things. Why do you think we're taking all this time in Sunday school going over some of the basics of Christianity? Because it's where you got to start. You got to start with the building blocks and you keep adding on and adding on and building on and building on and, and learning more about the things of God. But we should be comfortable doing so. And then Peter tells us that we are to be ready to give an answer to everyone that asks us the hope that lies within us. Now, I meet a lot of Christians who say, I'm scared to talk about my faith because I feel I don't know the answers. Okay, again, there's always going to be a question out there that you don't know the answer to. And so here's a good answer when you don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Now, if it's something you have studied, say, you know, there are many opinions on it, but there really is nothing. Here's, here may be what I, the conclusion I came to. Or if you don't know and you never studied it, say, I don't know, but I'll try to get back to you on it. Or if it's something that is really ridiculous, some things just don't need to be answered. It doesn't matter how many angels can fit on the head of a pin, right? You say, what in the world are you talking about? There are some crazy questions people like to ask that really have no answer and are frivolous questions, and we're not even supposed to give them time of day. So we're to continue with steadfastness. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Continue with steadfastness. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and be assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned it. So the things we have learned, been informed of. So what are some of the things you have learned? What are the things that God is teaching you? What are the things that you're assured of are truly the truths of God's word? Continue in that. Been informed of, rather, and being assured of is what you firmly believe. You see, there's two purposes for preaching, according to Ecclesiastes 12.11. The words of the wise are as goads, and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. So what's the purpose of a goad? Most of us don't have farm animals or have had to goad an animal. But would you believe sometimes, especially when you're working animals, if you have a, a yoke of oxen or uh, mules or something of that nature, sometimes they get a little stubborn and say, you know what, I'm done. And they'll just stop. And they need a little encouragement to keep going. And so they created what they call the goad. It's basically a stick that has a little pointy end on it, and you just kind of prod them a little bit, and they say, hey, you know what? That hurts. I think I'll start walking again. <laughs> Maybe not so nicely, depending on the animal. Some of them still want to fight, whatever. But the idea is animals sometimes can have a mind of their own. They need a little prodding. Okay. The idea for us is preaching 
sometimes should bring conviction. If you have been here at church for a long time and there's never been conviction, then there's probably something wrong with the preaching. Okay, there should be some conviction. It's interesting, though, going back to the false prophets, that they don't want to hit on sin. They don't want to talk about sin because they might offend somebody. I don't preach against sin to be offensive. I preach because it's what God has commanded, number one, but two, for conviction, because the idea is not to walk away offended. The idea is for you to respond to the conviction and get the matter settled and get it right. You see, there's more than one way to respond to it. Oh, well, that offended me, preacher. Well, how about confess the sin and get your heart right with God? And then it wouldn't be so offensive anymore. There's an idea. But the second purpose, he says, is nails from a mask. Uh, nails, what's a nail do? Holds things in place. Okay, so another purpose of preaching, not every message should be a scathing message, skinning the sheep. I heard a preacher say that once. I said, you know, that's interesting. I said, we shear sheep, but we don't skin sheep. As a matter of fact, I've never seen an animal willingly give up its skin unless he killed it. Be careful, because and some preachers treat the flock that way, like, I'm going to skin them again. Well, okay. But when they all leave, I will, you'll wonder why. Now, there should be those messages that preach against sin, but there should also be messages that you hear that help nail down what you've already heard. The Holy Spirit's not convicting you, but saying, look, this is an area in which you got it down. Keep going in that direction. It nails it in place. It reminds you that, that, yes, this is the right way. Continue in it. That is the second purpose of preaching. So if you walk out the door and you say, you know, I really wasn't convicted today, then the second question to ask is, did it reaffirm something I'm already doing? If it did, then the preaching still accomplished its goal. You see how that works? And by the way, the same message can do both for different people. So the areas in which we are to continue, we're going to look at each of these separately, or many of these separately over the next several weeks. John 8.31, we're to continue in the Word. John 15.9, we're to continue in His love. Acts 13.43, we're to continue in the grace of God. Acts 14.22, we're to continue in the faith. Uh, Romans 11.22, we're to continue in His goodness. Colossians 4.2, we're to continue in prayer. 1 Timothy 4.16, we're to continue in doctrine. And Hebrews 13.1, we're to continue in brotherly love. And then there's one area given in which we're not to continue in Romans 6.1, and that is we're not to continue in sin. I think that's a really interesting list, don't you? And so as I said, Lord willing, over the next several weeks, we're going to hit some of those individually. And that's why it became a series and a study, okay? So second point in verse 14 <clears throat> is that we are to remember who taught us. So to remain in what we have learned, and then secondly, remember who taught us. He says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Now, is Paul saying, yes, I'm the great teacher, so because you learned it from me, little Timothy, you better remember this. Is that what he's trying to say? No. As a matter of fact, does not Paul even give uh, um, 
recognition to Timothy's mother and grandmother for having taught him the scripture from a child. So he's not trying to take credit on himself. But he's saying, listen, Timothy, these are respected teachers and preachers, including myself, who are following the word of God. And so, again, pay attention to who you're listening to. If the preacher is wrong, probably not one to listen to if he's a false prophet. But we learn from pastors, teachers, evangelists, parents, and we should be thankful for those that God has provided. So with parents, children, do you listen and obey to your obey your parents? Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. I'm sure every mother and father thought, I brought you into this world, and certainly if you don't change, I'm going to take you out of it, right? That's not what it means by living long on the earth, though. <laughs> but honestly, if you follow the things your parents taught, for the most part, if you had good parents, you typically will live longer than if you don't follow the things your parents taught you to do. For those that are older, have you ever called your parents up and say, thank you, I appreciate what you did teaching me? If you had parents that taught you the right way, you should call them and thank them. It would mean a lot to them. Show respect to them. Do you listen to your pastor? Well, I believe you do. You're here on an early morning service. But parents, if you go home and have roast pastor for Sunday after church, don't be surprised when your children rebel against authority. I know those that have done so. I've attended church long before I was pastoring, and it's amazing how many people will come up and start complaining about the pastor. It's like, so if you can't submit to his authority, why are you here? If he's that much of a trouble, why don't you go somewhere else? Now, again, it doesn't mean that you don't be a Berean and study what he preaches and teaches and see if it's true. But folks, I don't take the responsibility of being the under-shepherd of this flock lightly. It's a great responsibility that God has given. And am I perfect? No, I'm not even going to try to pretend I am. Do I make a lot of mistakes? Unfortunately, I make more mistakes than I wish I did. But I really try, by God's grace, to preach and teach the truth of God's Word and live an example that would be worth following. But what about other authorities? Your employer, the government, the police officer. If you're one that has to slow down every time you see a police officer, what are you teaching your children? I'm glad our car has cruise control on it because sometimes that thing wants to go faster than it should. Hey, you set that cruise control and you're good. What really gets me is these 35 zones because 35 in that car feels like I'm crawling. Do I agree with the authorities that are in place now in our government? The answer is absolutely no. But parents, be careful what you say around your children of those representatives, senators, president, because little ears will listen. And if we're not careful, what we say can make them start to have a disrespect for authority especially younger ones that aren't going to understand the difference between disagreeing with the 
position the person takes versus disagreeing with the authority that they represent. Now, as they get older, then you can explain. I respect that position. However, I don't agree with the individual sitting there, and here's why. But we also learn from the Holy Ghost, from the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. All believers have the same indwelling Holy Spirit in them. So while it's important you hear the preaching of the Word of God, it's also important to be in the Word because the Holy Spirit of God will enlighten you in His Word. I think I gave this illustration before, but when I was in Shelby um, working at Walmart, there was another pastor. Well, I wasn't pastor in time, but there was a pastor friend of mine who was working there. And he came to me one night and he goes, Jim, he goes, I got to confess something to you. He said, I was studying this passage and I couldn't figure it out. And so I went to the commentaries and they all skipped over it. By the way, the hard passages, that's what commentaries do. They skip over it. He said, and I started looking and I started researching and I started calling friends and I just couldn't figure this passage out. So he said, I had this novel idea. Now you would have had to meet Ron because he was a jokester like I am. He goes, I had this really weird idea. I got down on my knees and I just said, God, you're the author of the Bible. Teach me what this passage is saying. And he says, and as I was pouring my heart out to God, he says, all of a sudden the passage came as clear as light, clear as day. He says, I got up off my knees and I understood what the passage meant. And so I was able to preach it to the church. He goes, what a weird concept. Like God knew what he wrote. <laughs> okay, while he said that sort of humorous, is it not true that we tend to turn everywhere else but to God himself when we have a hard passage to understand? Let me tell you something I find myself doing, and I'm sure every Christian in this room who has truly studied the Bible finds is we have preconceived ideas of what the Bible should be saying when we come to it. And as we're studying it, we find out sometimes those preconceived ideas are not exactly what God meant or said. We need to be careful to let the Word speak for itself and not try to impose something on it. Now, if you come up with something that's far-fetched, way out in left field, and nobody else in the entire world agrees with you, then that may not be Holy Spirit gift, okay? Every believer has the same Holy Spirit dwelling in them. I'm glad for this. We don't need a priest to tell us what God said. We can read it and understand it ourselves. Aren't you glad for that? So then let's look, lastly, verses 15 through 17, the resources to stay close to God. Verse 15, From a child that is known to Holy Scriptures, the Word of God is holy. It's inerrant, means it's without error. It's infallible, it's not capable of having error. It's inspired or God-breathed. It's preserved, means God has preserved the very words for you and I to have today. Do you believe that? I do. And every one of us should believe that. <clears throat> but verse 15, and that from a child, the word there is brephos or an infant, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. You know, I've had parents ask, when do I start teaching children the Bible? Well, they tell us they can hear in the womb, so that's probably a good time to start teaching them the Bible. But the Bible's too hard for children to understand. No, it's not. We have, in our nursery, 
scripture memory. I remember, and probably Sister Stephanie's going to remember this because she was here then, when we started the nursery curriculum. There were a few parents who said, you actually expect us to teach these children memory verses. I'm like, yes. Well, they're never going to understand it. I said, will you just trust me on this? I said, they're little sponges. They will suck it up. They will learn it quicker than you and I will. So we tried it, and all of a sudden, those parents were amazed that their children were learning Scripture verses. You know why? Because we don't give them verses that are really hard. We break it down. Sometimes it's even only a portion of the verse that we get them to memorize, but it's, it's getting them started. And they understand it because our teachers take time to explain it to them so that they can stand here and tell us what it means. And I love it when they're challenged, go tell pastor your memory verse. And then I tell them, go back to your teacher and tell them, give you a prize for that. You know what grade level the King James translation is at? Actually lower than both eight and seven. Hmm? Six. Sixth grade. The King James is written at a sixth grade reading level. So people say, well, I can't understand it. Well, unfortunately, and I, with our education system today, yeah, I, I could understand that, unfortunately, many young people aren't even taught a sixth grade reading level, it seems, but it's really not that difficult to understand. Timothy understood the word from his mother and grandmother, 2 Timothy 1.5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in me, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. It says, and that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise. I'm glad there's wisdom in the Bible. Wisdom for salvation. Because it's through the Word of God that I understood my lost condition and my need for salvation, and I understood God's gift of eternal life. But then there's also wisdom for living. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Is there not a lot of wisdom there for how to live our Christian life? James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God to give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. And then verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Again, that inspiration of God, one word there, theonoustos, or God-breathed, and is profitable for doctrine, that's teaching, teaching what is right, for reproof that's showing us what is not right, for correction that's how to get it right, instruction in righteousness, how to keep it right once we got it right. In other words, the Bible has all the answers to everything in life. Everything you need to know is contained in the Word of God. Even just last week, I preached a message in the morning service of for whom do we vote? because the qualifications of an elected official are given to us in the Bible. I had a preacher friend tell me, you know, recently, he was showing me some other things that are in the Bible. The um, cancel culture and God's condemnation of it is in the Bible. Socialism is in the Bible and God condemns it. You say, where is it? I'll show you sometime. But it's interesting. Everything, every answer, is this right or is this wrong? Does God say it's something we should do or not do? It's in the Bible. You just got to look for it. That the man of God may be perfect, 
Now, this is not perfect in the way we think of perfection today, but the idea of mature, maturity, growing to a mature Christian, becoming complete in Him. When does that happen? Well, it's a lifelong process and won't be completed until He takes us home. Thoroughly furnished. I like that because it's not just furnished. It doesn't just give us enough to get the job done. I see several Marines out here, and you guys get the leftover Navy, Navy garbage, right? And you make do with what you have, and it is amazing. My time with the Marines, it is absolutely amazing how they do improvise, adapt, and overcome with what they're given. They're given the equipment, but it's not the best equipment. They're not thoroughly furnished. I'll tell you what, I think they're scared to give the Marines the proper equipment because then they really would be a powerful machine, right? So they give them the leftover stuff and make them figure it out. It takes them longer. <laughs> But it is, in God's army, he says, we're thoroughly furnished. It's not just have to make do with what you have, but the armor of God is perfect. Aren't you glad of that? So let's continue in the things that we have learned. Abide in him. Continue in what we've learned. Remember that the Holy Spirit teaches us, and we have... The Word of God is our resource to stay close to Him. Let's close with a word of prayer.